in this latest edition of the Sheridan's Backpage podcast. Myself and Alex Chapman speak with Stuart Dinsey, chair of games, publisher, Curve Digital and trade body, UK, plus as a director of Stevenage FC. We speak about his journey in the computer games and football world and also talk about how since 2012 he has overseen the rise of Curve and been a part of Stevenage FC's emergence as one of the most progressive clubs for football, global marketing and brand appeal. We hope you enjoy it. Stuart, uh, thank you so much for joining us on um, Sheridan's Backpage podcast. Um, as you know, and probably heard of a few times in the past, we try and get um, uh, lots of good clients and contacts that have great experience in the wider sort of entertainment, sports, film, and obviously computer game space, which you're uh, right in the heart of. And I'm really pleased to be joined by um, the head of our interactive team, Alex Chapman, um, as well today. So yeah, we're we're sort of cooperating quite nicely, Alex, on this whole sports and uh, and computer game stuff as usual, which is uh, which is good. Yeah, we are. Very um, much so, very much so. Brilliant. So, Stuart, it's thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, well, well, thank you. And it's, um, yeah, great to have that brief chat. Now, when I was doing a bit of research for having our chat, um, I'd say a little birdie told me, but actually it was from your LinkedIn profile that I didn't realise that you started out actually as a award-winning FT journalist. Um, it sounds like you've come a long way since... Um, those days but it'd be really interesting just to know I guess for people of all generations how you you, you know your um, career has evolved from um, those initial starting points to getting into the the games and interactive um, industry and then on um, into sports and football specifically since. Sure well um, basically I, I always had a desire to be a journalist I was um, I was I was one of those kids who at nine years old used to make my own magazines um, and I used to do you know, a front page story and sport on the back and used to watch Top of the Pops and do music reviews. And I was absolutely dedicated on becoming a journalist. And um, I didn't, I, I'm also, um, I tend to uh, try to take shortcuts and get to places as quickly as, as I can. So I actually deliberately didn't go to university and got in into McCann Erickson, the ad agency in the, in the mid eighties for a little while in their research department, carried on writing. Uh, used to write, go and see bands and do reviews and managed to get hired by something called Computer Trade Weekly, CTW, which was the first uh, business weekly for the, the the games industry of its day. Brilliant Home magazine. Game. Yeah. Brilliant magazine. Um, it, it, was, it was actually, I got loads of clients through CTW because back in the day, what I used to do when I first qualified was um, I would go through CTW I would look for the new businesses and the new opportunities. And I would then, this is, shows how old it is, I would then um, send um, a letter to someone who had just announced that they were doing something. And I, and I, and I wrote a couple of articles for your guys. Yeah. And Creative Assembly through that. Wow. Um, well, I, I remember you used to write for us. But, um, yeah, thank you for saying it was brilliant. It was also the only one which helped. <laughs> well, um, there was there was, there was CTW and MCV, but then yeah. MCV is another chapter of your life as well. I guess. Yeah, well, I joined CTW, Computer Trade Weekly, when I was 19. Um, I applied for this trainee reporter's job with another lad from Stoke, and they couldn't decide who to hire. Um, I don't know if this is legal anymore, so they hired us both and halved the salary between us. Um, <laughs> and said that we both had three months and one of us would get fired at the end of it. Um, 
but that was just uh, just as a hack uh, working for a, a, a games industry legend called Greg Ingham, who was a great journalist and and, and ended up being one of the, the main people building up future publishing. Um, and um, I became editor by 21 um, and then did another 10 years there uh, uh, of Computer Trade Weekly and got a little bit frustrated that it wasn't, CW wasn't moving with the times. This is kind of late nineties now um, and was, was gonna be threatened by uh, emergence of online or a competitor. So I actually quit and launched against myself. I launched MCV with some money from a German company. Um, and MCV was really for me, having many years of being a journalist and an editor was my opportunity to build a media company. And my, my excitement was always around an interest, it was always around entertainment, technology and leisure. Um, and uh, MCV spawned toy news in the toy industry, developing games development, uh, a home computing title, but we also went as far as um, cycling, and professional audio live sound. And uh, in 2011, I we acquired a number of titles from UBM, including Music Week, which is like was launched in 1950 and has got covers about the Beatles and all sorts. And that was a big move for us. Um, I carried on building that and enjoying that until we sold to an American business uh, about seven or eight years ago. Um, and I'd really got to a point where I considered myself a media guy and a journalist who had happened to have been in the games industry as, as, as my bedrock. But when I'd sold that business and looked for something else to do, it was kind of natural, really, that I moved into games. Uh, that's where uh, my strongest relationships were. And, I, and um, I could see the market was changing. Curve Digital is a digital publisher as opposed to boxes in retail and all that kind of thing. Um, and I invested in that in 2013. At the same time, when I'd sold, I had lots of like non-competes and there was one industry that I really wanted to get involved in, which was football. And I was allowed to because it wasn't competing with anything I'd done. Um, and with the, the rise of my local team, Stevenage FC at the time, having um, got into the league and won, won some trophies, got, got even to the League One playoffs, um, I was lucky enough, I'd, I'd been the sort of a sponsor and a season ticket holder for a number of years, but I was lucky enough to be asked to join the board in, I think, about 2012, 2013. So that's where I'm this, I'm this curious, um, perfect Sheridan's person that is in football and video games for you two. It's, it's all for you. That's what, that's what I always thought. If nothing else, I remember the, one of the first conversations we had, Stuart, um, with one of the other businesses that you used to work in. And um, I remember I reintroduced you to, to Alex, and you can obviously speak more about this, Alex. I went to, we went into uh, one of the Sheridan's rooms to have a coffee, and, and I just let you guys chinwag. And I felt like the you know, complete outsider where I could chat a bit about footy for five minutes, and then you guys started going on about the computer games industry. I was like, yeah. okay, I'll just, I'll just listen from now on to it. It was just great to, it was great to make all of those connections at different times. I think I think what's what's really interesting about it is I mean I, I think one of the articles I did back in the day for for you guys um, for CW was about convergence so it tells you how long ago it was but like convergence in so many different media sectors um, has happened and continues to happen but in also in the most surprising sectors so. You know, I think a lot of people who like computer games like sport or the, like the business of computer games like the business of sport, but 
really there is there is nothing really to link them except maybe fever <laughs> do you know what I mean or, or sports games and so I was really interested I mean when I when I first qualified as a lawyer I identified three, I was an IP lawyer so I identified three or four areas that I was really interested in one was computer games one was football and sports one was brand licensing and another was basically just dot com kind of technology online website stuff um and what was really interesting is in order to um, kind of promote or, or get clients in those areas, and, you know, I, I'd write some articles. And one of the articles I wrote was about sports licenses in video games. Now, you go, you fast forward, whatever, 20 years, and you've got um, lots of people from the, from the games industry who are all involved in football. Mm. um because they can be i mean you miles jacobson um you know there, there are a number of other people who've got investments in in football clubs um you've also got you know you take sheridan's for example you know we've got a big esports practice but that esports practice whereas a lot of people would have that sit within if you like their technology practice or their games practice because we've got a big games practice as well actually we made a very conscious decision to make that part of the sports um practice because it has a lot more in common and then you kind of go through all of the different parts of the games world and the esports world and, and those kind of things and, and the similarities between um you know, sports publishing all of those things there are a huge amount of similarities and a huge, huge amount of experience that you can get from both and what happens is you if you overlay one on top of the other and i think that's what you did with burger king isn't it you you've taken you've taken a principle you've overlaid it onto something else and then overlaid something on top of that and you've created something that's really really compelling in a way that would never have otherwise happened absolutely i mean i think there has been some convergence and i think there are certain areas i imagine such as um talent management or or brands and rights where where there is similarity between sports and and, um, and video games but actually if you look at games and sports brands there's probably less licensing activity than there used to be you know mm -hmm. there would we've seen manchester united video games and, and ronaldo and and all sorts of things and lots of different competitive football games and we're really down to fifa and um football manager and obviously the, the power of, of nba and nhl and things like that from ea but there but those games based using those brands and, and the landscapes of, of those sports are absolutely enormous um, and they're not uh, opportunistic as used to be in the 90s yeah. where, you know, Michael Owen would have a good World Cup and somebody would come out of a Michael Owen game um, to the point where with Stephen FC and, and Burger King, when, when those conversations started, the conversation was never about um, League Two and the UK. It was never about working with activations with the, with the nearby Burger King on the, you know, on, on the retail estate across the road. It was about getting into FIFA um, yep. with with Burger King on a shirt, and then how do we how does Burger King uh, launch into the sort of the Justy and the Deliveroo market, which is which was the, the big key for them, and and they did it using social media and FIFA, and you know people scoring goals in a Stevenage shirt that just happened to have Burger King on the front, um, and it was a huge success. But also you, you've got to take your hats off to them and. Their, their agencies and their marketing department that they, they delivered it superbly yeah. um it re they really did do a great job on that and, and is a burger king are steven shirts among the most popular shirts in fifa now then 
Um, well, the, um, through, the, through the period that they did the campaign, so let's say over a period of about six months, we were the worst team in English football um, in the league <laughs> um, and, and the most popular team on the ultimate team section of FIFA. So, you know, where you start with a, a number of players and you choose a team and you work your way up. Um, yeah, Steven, yeah, yeah. Stevens FC was being played by FIFA owners more than any other team. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, the parallels were, you, you know, they couldn't have been more uh, opposite. They really couldn't. And if I can ask one more as well, um, Stuart, on that point, which is, you know, doing it once is obviously incredibly difficult from the club, from agency, from a game perspective as well. Um, trying to emulate um, that success. Um, second time round with the Burger Queen um, idea, um, which looks fantastic um, and is it looks like it's started to be activated brilliantly as well. I guess there's quite a lot of pressure, <laughs> in a way, on being able to deliver something second time round when something was something first time round was such a great success. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think generally the, the currency of the value of shirt sponsorship now equating to your um, your visibility within FIFA, I think that is now set. And every other team outside the, the, the Premier League, which is which is a different world, will be now adding that to the mm. um, to the conversation and and, the, and the, how they value that shirt and who they're talking to. And we would expect to continue to work with Burger King next season or have another major shirt partner where that is part of their activations and, and their, their thinking. With with Burger Queen, it was really. Uh, Burger King really wanting to, to demonstrate that when they approach marketing like this, um, they're, they're looking for equality and to, to, to make a point of saying it is, um, we're not approaching this football club differently from the male team to the female team. And whilst there was a, you know, there is a, a PR angle to it and the, the bravery of them changing it from Burger King to Burger Queen, I think the principle is is it is clearly coming through how they approach all of their marketing around the world, and they they need to sort of prove it. And and by doing what they've done with us in a in a small corner of football in in, in the UK, kind of sets a tone for their global marketing. I think I think I think you're right. I think I think there's there's you know, one thing in in advertising marketing is authenticity, and I think I think that actually comes through from, um, you know, I think in any industry. And any brand needs to have some kind of authenticity. And I think what you have with Burger King by doing something, you know, it's not grassroots, but it's about as grassroots as you'll get in terms of lower league um, professional football, community you know, community based football. I think I think Stevenage is a community based club, and I think, but also, it's not just football. Um, it's all games and, and all providing authenticity in games is important as well. I mean, Burger King have been, Burger King have made games. I remember I dealt with, did a deal with them, God, about 10, 15 years ago where they funded Blitz, the old Blitz um, games to make um, a Burger King game. And I think they gave them away with whatever the equivalent of Happy Meals was. So Burger King have been around the games world for a long time. And, and this is just another example of how good activation, good marketing and good conversations with the right partners can produce something very, very effective. Um, but you need people who understand both industries. And I think that's where you, Stuart, have a particular advantage. And, and you see it with, with, with people like Miles and what he's done with Football Manager, the way that Football Manager has um, is, is an authentic um, 
video game brand, but he's also very much an authentic football brand. Um, oh, absolutely. And if, if you talk to Miles or any, anybody else, senior sports interactive, they're, they're quite um, insistent that they work within the football industry. You know, yeah. they, don't, yeah. they don't work, they don't target video games players. They no. target football fans. And that's, that's absolutely um, to the heart of everything, every decision they make. It's about the football fan. It's not about um, the games player. Yeah, no, absolutely. Can I, can I ask maybe just a couple of bits as well, Stuart, on maybe your first football, and then obviously Alex will have a, a few bits on the, the more, the more game-centric elements, is, you know, we've worked together for, for a while now and, and on some um, tricky and difficult Stevenage matters over the last bit of time as yeah. well. You know, the, the, there's obviously a, a, a number of issues impacting on English football and obviously English football at the lower leagues as well. Um, and always plenty of politics and practical issues to consider. If we were looking from, you know, a League Two club's perspective at the moment on sort of structural changes, on sort of future gazing ideas, you know, where does, where does Steve and George, just your individual approach sit to how, how things need to either change for the better or, you know, um, you know, structurally um, think about um, some type of reforms to, to, to best benefit, you know, I guess lots of different stakeholders, but obviously your club as well. First of all, we need to start winning some football matches. <laughs> um, we're working on that and we're very, very happy with the changes that, that we as a club have made since we got the reprieve and stayed in the league. And um, we're already, uh, you know, part of the, uh, the, the clubs that are looking at how does League Two, League One and League Two structure itself going forward. And obviously mm. we've seen the introduction of the, of the salary cap. Um, and I think you'll probably see more of the evidence of, of what, what effect that salary cap has next season more than this season, because I think a number of clubs were able to get their business done before the end of June um, and therefore spend more than the salary cap. Whereas by the time we get to next season, um, it will be uniform. And from our perspective, from a small club's perspective, we have to look at that as it's an opportunity to be more competitive because we're not, we're not going to get outspent. Mm. Um, so there's usually a team in your division that is spending uh, twice as much as everybody else. So, so what, we, what we have to do as a club is we have to stay up this year and consolidate after all the trauma of last summer. Um, and we, we have to bear in mind um, the, 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 the impact that's, that there's going to be on attendances. Attendances, walk-up gate is a huge part of our revenue. Obviously, the, the smaller you go, your, your attendances are more important to you than, um, than sponsorship. And hmm. we don't know yet what impact there's going to be in the sort of, let's call it the post-COVID attendances. Will people still come uh, in the same numbers? Will the habit still be there? Will the... Um, will people feel comfortable coming and, and, and coming to matches and uh, being close together? We don't know. Uh, obviously, if you win matches, your crowds are going to go up. But I, I do wonder if it might take a while for crowds to feel confident again across the piece, especially the, the older football supporter. So that's something that we've got to build in. Um, and we have to, as every, every club does, we have to think about our long-term future as opposed to we've got some money in the bank, let's spend all of it now and hope we win because um, we have to survive. The responsibility on us as directors is that 
if if we were to get relegated, we would at least still have a club after the fact. I mean, as someone, as someone, I don't know the football industry anywhere near as much as you and Dan do. Um, I mean, I see, I see something like you know the, the Stephen Edge activation, lower league club stuff. I see what um, Spencer is doing with hashtag, and I see things like that. Um, and and you know, there's some really interesting things that happen in the lower leagues. But what is what is the difference financially between, say, League Two? and the um and and the national league and and is there a big difference in terms of your ability you know your your, the commerciality of a business or it's absolutely enormous if if a team is relegated to national league there are parachute payments um over two seasons but um vastly reduced in the second season um it has an impact on you in terms of if you are in the league you get funding support on running your academy Yep. If, you're, if you're outside the league, you don't. So there's lots of different things that impact you. And of course, it will it will impact your attendances. We've already been hit by it this season, but mm. a huge part of our attendance revenue comes from the away support because we yeah. are one of the smallest yeah. clubs. So if we're playing Bradford City or Bolton or recently, a couple of years ago, Luton Town, bringing 3,000, 4,000 fans into our stadium, that's huge to us. Mm-hmm. And... With the best will in the world, whilst there's probably 10 clubs in the National League who are bigger than Stevenage, it will make a huge difference to the overall attendances and therefore the revenue that we're gaining. Yeah, Very interesting. Um, Stuart, just a couple more questions from me. And obviously, Alex, um, feel free to um, you know, add as you see fit. Just pivoting onto the sort of game side a little bit, if that's all right. Um, you know, you, you've now... At least my understanding is being involved in the sale of two pretty big um, um, interactive computer games companies, Intent to New Bay, and then um, obviously Curve to um, Catalyst as well. Um, are there particular lessons, particular experiences that you've gone through on both both sides? Maybe obviously in very different ways um, when dealing with. Um, um, companies that you are selling and the, the stresses, the trials, the tribulations of, of doing things in uh, particular ways so that, you know, when you're working with new companies, when you are gaining that experience, the stuff you do on UK as well, hold you in good stead for um, understanding the processes and obviously sometimes the things that the lawyers will do and say and get involved in. Um, yeah, I think so. And, and I, I also um, was part of a, of a company called Steel Media, um, which, which was recently acquired by a Canadian uh, group called Enthusiast. Um, the, the things that I've learned, first of all, are run your business um, so that you are, ready, you are ready to be bought at the moment someone knocks on your door. Don't run your business and then think, in two years' time, I'm going to prepare it for sale or, or I'll fix that further down the road. Run it consistently so that when that, you know, when that moment comes, you are absolutely able to say, uh, yes, there are, there are no skeletons in the closet. There's no loans to shareholders. There's no Ferraris in the car park. Um, there's not seven different companies and lots of different shareholdings. Keep it simple. Show growth. Show profitability. Don't run it as a um, uh, don't don't run it as a lifestyle business. That makes it incredibly difficult to sell, and be able to demonstrate the opportunities ahead of you that actually 
um, would be um, would be more likely to be met with the addition of capital or a new owner. So that the, the, the current owners, whoever they are, are basically saying, we've got a fantastic business, but actually we think this can grow with your help. That is very attractive to an acquirer, but you've got to be absolutely straight with what you're presenting. Yep, couldn't agree more. <laughs> you said everything I was going to say as well. I really like that approach. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure with, again, just very briefly with all the work on, on the UK side of things, I mean, how do you manage just from a work-life balance perspective to balance all of the, the curve, UK, Stevenage, other obviously um, work and responsibilities that you have? Um, how's that impacted in obviously the last 12 months or so with COVID and how did it even um how did you deal with that beforehand? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm probably my day job, if you like, is probably curve. So I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm in my head. I'm, I'm, eighty percent curve all the time. And I think if you, if you've grown up um, as, as like an entrepreneur or, or, or a business owner for the last fifteen years, you don't really turn off. So you're, you're, you're on all the time, whether it's seven o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock at night. Uh, you're doing business when you're when you're socialising, so you have got a lot of time to play with. Um, uh, and in addition to that, I would say that some of those other roles that I've got, whilst I am chair of UK and I oversee the board and and, and try to help, UK has got an incredibly fantastic chief exec in in Joe Twist and a, an incredible team that works for her. And similarly at Stevenage Football Club. We've got one of the best chairmen in the league in Phil Wallace, who, who, who's, who's the, the guy that controls the club and a superb chief executive there and good team there. So the answer really is uh, surround yourself with good people so you don't have to do too much work. <laughs> I think you play yourself down very nicely. So, uh, Stuart, it's something we always ask our um, guests as the last question, just for uh, an interest point more than anything else is, um, you know, is there anything particularly that you've read, that you've consumed online, that uh, you're listening to at the moment, that you've enjoyed, that you can pass on, um, apart from maybe the latest Netflix episode or series? But um, yeah, I'm always keen just to spread the knowledge and, and wealth on particularly inspiring bits and pieces. Well, it's interesting you should ask that because this, this thought came to me just the other day. In the last three or four weeks, I've rediscovered my love of newspapers. And where we're all constantly looking at our screens, or even if you go out and walk the dog, you're listening to a podcast, I'm sure everybody will be listening and enjoying yours. I found that um, getting myself surrounded by newspapers and working my way through different columns and seeing different perspectives and, and reading about things I don't know uh, is absolutely joyous in the, in the last few weeks. And that isn't necessarily, I'm not particularly talking about politics and the economy, just the depth of, of, of the quality newspapers and what a different experience it is to the way we consume watching Netflix or, or, or working. Um, so that's probably the, 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 the thing that's, that, that's making me happy at the moment. And can I ask very briefly, is that because um, it's something of an antithesis to everything that is digital and the, the lack of distraction that yep. then a newspaper or whatever it is provides where you almost have that safe space of switching it's off exactly no that. no distraction otherwise it's exactly that you're, you're switched off um you're you're sort of you're in your own place you're not going to get the notifications while you're doing it 
Um, and you're also discovering new things. So you may find yourself reading about something, um, somebody's review of a book or a, a piece of business news about a different sector, whatever, that I don't think, um, I don't think you get the signposts to those areas from the other proliferation of media that we consume. Love it. I need to read my economist a bit more is the answer. But um, yeah, I try and do that. On a uh, you know what? I genuinely can't remember the last time I actually picked up a newspaper. Well, there you go. You see, that's... that's I mean, it's, it's really interesting. And they're so good. The quality ones are so good. And even if you disagree with their politics, there's plenty of other fantastic content in the, in the quality newspapers. And I'm not going to name any, but I think... Um, I was amazed, actually, at the depth of content and the variety of choice in the sections and all that kind of stuff. As I said, I've rediscovered newspapers. Stuart. I, go, I, go, I go online for the Guardian crossword. That's about all I do. And then I print it off. How ironic is that? <laughs> well, there's one thing now we're going to see, Stuart, whenever we may get one day back to the office. Um, Stuart, I'm going to make sure I buy Alex a broadsheet on a daily basis and I'll take some pictures just to, to evidence I, the fact. I only, I only ever want, um, got a newspaper in the past for the TV and the uh, sports pages. <laughs> I'd get a newspaper and I, seriously, I would just turn it straight to the back page Alex, and then read it from the back to the front. If nothing else, obituaries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when, when you get to my age, you just feel like you're winning. Yeah, you can probably chart your... Um, you know, the stage of life that you're going through into, um, by what you look at in the newspapers. I remember there was a period of time when I would only get newspapers that had housing supplements. Um, you know, that's when, you know, when you're doing up a house or something like that, there's, you know, the housing supplements and then there's a sports page and a TV page. So now what do I do look in a newspaper for now on the crossword? Alex, I've, I'm learning new things about you on a daily basis now. Though, <laughs> as Brilliant. Superb. Superb. Well, no, thank you, um, Stuart, for joining us. It was it was brilliant just to get some of those um, insights. Alex, thanks for your um, thank you. yeah for for getting involved. Hopefully, be the first of many. And Stuart, Stuart, I hope you have a great week, and um, we'll let you know when this comes out sooner rather than later. Look forward to it. Thanks, chaps. Cheers, Take guys. Well, bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sheridan Sport Backpage Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sheridan Sport and also subscribe to our Backpage blogs and previous podcast episodes. You can also share ideas and connect with us individually on Twitter and LinkedIn. Feel free to get in touch with one of the team. Andrew, Dan, Chris, Johnny, Alex, Sarah, Ryan and Elle. Finally, the Backpage podcast is powered by Milestone, a mental health charity aimed at tackling setbacks through sport and in turn helping to normalise the conversation around mental health. To learn more about Milestone and its aims and how you can get involved, visit teammilestone.co.uk or check them out on Instagram at milestone.uk or Twitter at milestone underscore UK. Thanks for listening.